This is Transparency, a podcast by Gender Dysphoria Alliance, hosted by Aaron Kimberly and Aaron Terrell. Each week we'll be joined by people who have personal or professional experience with gender dysphoria and physical transition. We'll also discuss how our trans experiences relate to the concept of gender identity. Join us for a compassionate yet heterodox approach to the question of trans. So I know all of you, but you guys don't all know each other. Um, maybe we can do a, a little bit of, of introduction, um, leaving out where we live for safety reasons. But... <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> so if we record it, are we starting recording? I, yeah, started or I started recording. Oh, we, we can do editing later. <laughs> so that's like I started recording ages ago. Like, wait. <laughs> yeah. All right. So maybe. Um, It'd be helpful maybe to, to know when each of you transitioned might be kind of relevant to the conversation. So I transitioned 15 years ago. Kenneth, I know you transitioned before I did. So roughly when was that? I started in 2006 and had my last surgery in 2008. Like I started testosterone in 2006, had, my, had a surgery a year after that. What about you, Aaron? When when did you transition? Uh, I transitioned in 2011. I started testosterone. Um, so yeah, 10 years ago. Um, and then I, uh, I had top surgery a couple years later. Um, and I've left it as that at that. Uh, so um, health-wise, what that means going down the line uh, has yet to be decided. But yeah, so I've been on testosterone uh, 10 years. I've yet to have anything internally removed. Um, so, so, uh, yeah, um, um, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a constant, um, kind of debate back and forth. Do I, do I cease and desist, uh, you know, cross sex hormones or do I have a hysterectomy and I have yet to, um, decide, but I need to, I need to do one or the other, you know, Why? Uh, eventually Why? what's up Why? just because, because, because of the, because of the cancer risk with um uh with taking um testosterone and having you know still the internal um uh, anatomy that cannot function on that level of male uh male hormones um so i know what i you know i i want to obviously uh continue with the testosterone um but but as far as long term health um what what does that mean um uh, yeah yeah exactly who knows who knows yeah um, Go get but your yeah, kids so, yeah, that's the that's a long, long story is that, yeah, so I transitioned uh, effectively uh, 10 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. And then Scott, I think I think yours is probably the most recent of of the four of us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, I had a different experience in, than all y'all. We um, God, I was on testosterone for maybe six weeks when I got my top surgery. I got all surgeries like within a within a year. Um, but I, I was in a different place, you know, I had the money. So it was just like the doctor's like, zing, 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 zing. Um, so for me, I've, I've been fully transitioned, um, top to bottom. I've had two bottom surgeries. Um, so I'm, I'm completely, I got nothing else female in me. So, so what, what, 
Kenneth mentioned the word, you know, the, the beginnings of the affirmation model. So, so what I'd like to talk about today is actually um, this, this new book, brand new book um, that's come out um, called Gender Dysphoria, a Therapeutic Model for Working with Children, Adolescents and Young Adults. And this is by Susan and, and Marcus Evans in the UK who um, have been working. Um, they uh, were previously connected to the Tavistock Clinic, which has been in the press um, in, the recent year. Um, so they're proposing a, a therapeutic model. So maybe we can just, just to set the stage for this, just talk a little bit about um, where we are and, and a little, just, a, just very briefly, a little bit of that history of, of how transcare has been done. So um, prior to, you know, Kenneth, you mentioned the, the affirmation model. So when I transitioned 15 years ago, and it was the very, very beginnings of what we now call the affirmation model. But back then, when I did it, there was still quite a bit of assessment. Um, so I think it was over about a two or three month period, I, I had regular, regular appointments and, and was assessed. Um, but there was no there was no uh, recommendation or, or expectation that I do any psychotherapy or anything like that. So it was still just, just assessment of just telling my story, but there was no, there was no pushback. There was no exploration of kind of deeper things. Um, and now over the last 15 years, affirmation, which was never to challenge someone's identity. So it means that the sta the clinician stance is you just accept that someone is who they say they are, but the assessment is, is about things like um, assessing your capacity to consent, for example. And now that's turned into pure, uh, you know, more and more clinics moving in the direction of pure informed consent, where they even eliminate a lot of the assessment and more of a sign a waiver. And as long as you're, you have the capacity to consent, we'll, we'll, we'll just start you on, on medical treatment. So it's, it's moved more and more and more in that direction and away from careful assessment and, and any psychotherapy. Am I kind of capturing that, that evolution? Okay. And it's strange, isn't it though? Because with all the uh, studies that, that came out that said, Hey, medical transition helps kids with mental health. It's, you know, this kind of cure all. And then all of a sudden all these are retracted or changed or, and uh, you know, that was when we didn't know that it helped mental health or we, we thought it did, we didn't know it was kind of, you know, slow. Now that we know it doesn't help mental health, the media is not lifting that. But now we're going from, you know what, fuck it. You are who you are. It's, it's nuts to me what's happening. Yeah. It's nuts. Because prior to the affirmation model, there was a lot more emphasis on, because gender identity disorder was in the DSM and it was understood as a mental health condition. And so the emphasis of treatment for gender, gender identity disorder prior to this major shift was was looking at, at it more from psychology and it was psychologists that led the field and then we kind of went this far other direction where the, the only treatment for what's now called gender dysphoria the only treatment on offer is medicalization and and changing her body and um and and scott as he said like how strong is the is the evidence for that and i don't necessarily want to deny everyone that option. I, I think I'm sort of in the middle where, you know, if I think we need a lot more research about who exactly benefits from this care and, and who doesn't. And, and I do think that we need to bring the psychologists back into the conversation. And so, 
So this book, um, this model that um, Susan and, and Marcus are describing here um, is a psychological model. And I think I've seen them in interviews that they're not opposed to pe some people medically transitioning, but, um, you know, and I've just started into this book, but I think it might be I, just, I think there's a lot of, from thumbing through it, I think there's going to be a lot of really rich content for us to explore, um, you know, to, uh, today, starting today. And, and, you know, I would love it if, as I'm reading through this book, if we can come back to it and, and talk about some of the major talking points, but um, just looking at, at the forward, there's already some really rich um, material to get us started. So um, in the forward, they're setting a little bit of, of introducing a few concepts. So one of the concepts that they introduce um, is this idea of outcomes and the, the quality of research on outcomes of the medicalization. Um, now, one of, the, one of the things that they mention is that there haven't been a lot of really good long-term studies on outcomes. And so there's three questions I thought we could start with that they ask here, because so, they're saying that when measuring outcomes, uh, that there's uh, three questions that haven't been answered. So let's just, let's just talk about those three. So the first one is how long after an intervention should such an assessment of, of outcome be done? Now, it's my understanding that a lot of the um, outcome surveys and stuff are pretty short term. You know, asking mm -hmm. if you start them on, on testosterone and then I don't know, like if someone's in your care for a year or whatever, how are you doing? And, and I know my experience was when I first started testosterone, I felt awesome. I felt great for that, that short term, right? So, so what do you think of this question? Like how long after medicalization or after a certain intervention, be it hormones or surgery, um, should an assessment be done? What do you think? What do you guys think? I, you know what I would kind of like to know? We got four trans men here. Who, who has no regret? And we do everything the same. We're all adults here. You would do everything the same? Yeah. Okay. Would you, Kenneth? No. Would you? No. If, I, if I knew... Oh. Yeah. Okay. No, go ahead, Kenneth. Sorry. I, if, if I knew this meant spending the rest of my life alone... Uh, no, I wouldn't do it. Why, why would? Why are you spending your whole life alone? Where are you at, dude? Let's go out and to a movie or something. We oh, can sorry, no, What's it's, going on? <laughs> it's, it, it's like I'm sexually attracted to women who are sexually attracted to women, so they don't see me. Gotcha. Okay. Right? I, I've I've become invisible to the population of people that I am sexually attracted to. So, yeah. What about you, Aaron? Would you do it again? I'm really questioning that. You know, I'm questioning, um, you know, to what extent did I make this decision based on the ideology that was going around of what it, what the feelings I had meant, you know, because there was a point in my life prior to moving to Vancouver. I mean, from the age 16 until my early thirties, I was part of the lesbian community and yes, I was struggling with certain things, but it never occurred to me to get a, you know, what using the old language to get a sex change like that, that was never on my radar. And, um, and I was finding ways of, of making sense of those feelings in the context of, of being a lesbian, because a lot of gay and lesbian people talked about having cross-sex identification or having gender, dis gender identity disorder. So that wasn't, 
that wasn't unusual in the circles of people in like in the butch community, for example, that what wasn't unusual for butch lesbians to feel that. And so I was making sense of it in the context of, of um, a gay and lesbian identity. It wasn't until I moved to Vancouver, because Vancouver is a hot spot. We, I mean, Aaron and I talked about this a little bit last time we talked, that Vancouver is, is a hot spot for some of these ideologies. And I wonder, had I not moved to Vancouver where I was immersed in that way of thinking and then saw that documentary on TV that's, that said, well, if you have these kinds of feelings of, of gender identity disorder, that meant you are a trans person. So it really kind of, it, it really turned my identity on its head and it's like, oh, well, I guess I'm not a lesbian after all. I guess I'm a trans person. Um, so now that's what I'm unpacking. I mean, no doubt at all that I had legitimate gender identity disorder life, you know, from a very early age and that, and I still do. And this is something that people get confused about. There was a comment um, on the Benjamin Boyce video I did, a comment about, well, I don't, I don't understand if you're saying you reject the ideology, then how are you trans? But gender dysphoria is, is different from the gender ideology. I had gender dysphoria long before I learned any of the ideology. So undoing the ideology is making me rethink, like, what were my real options for gender identity disorder? Um, and wishing that some of those other options were on offer, like the psychological parts. And is it, I do think it's possible that I could have learned to learn to live with that and resolve that in, in ways that didn't involve medicalization. You know what I find interesting about trans ideology all in general, and we, we have four people here and there's one person that wouldn't do, would do everything the same. Um, you know, for me, I scream so loud about, about kids and I'm, I tell the truth. I don't care who it offends or whatever. I'm at the point in my life where, you know, I've hid who I, I won't do that anymore. So if you ask me a question, I'll tell you exactly what I feel. Um, I would actually transition again. It has helped me. Um, I would do it differently. Um, and I would do it with, with better knowledge. But if I had to say, you know, would you do it again or not black and white? I would, I would do it differently. So I'm not against medical transitioning. Mm -hmm. I'm not. Um, it has made me more comfortable in this life. I never knew how uncomfortable I was. Um, I, you know, gender dysphoria, all that kind of stuff, I think is kind of, I don't know. I'm sorry. I just think, think it's kind of bullshit. It's a it's just kind of yeah, it's, it's wanting to be the opposite sex. And here's the thing that drives me nuts about gender ideology. And I also think that there are some people that benefit from medical transitioning. It has, if you take all my medical stuff away, it has helped me in, in certain areas in my life. Um, but I didn't know all the negative. I wasn't given the option of the negative. I wasn't told the negative. We don't know what happens long-term with medical transitioning. Aaron, you said something a couple of months ago that just resonates so loud with me. I don't know if you guys have seen it or if it's even up. It was... Um, it was a deposition with the Green Party. And here Aaron is, you know, with all logic, I'm screaming at everybody, tell everybody fuck off. And, and Aaron's, you know, coming in with all his little logic and somebody, you know, questions him or something. And he goes, well, you know, um, I'm a biological woman and, I, and I've got cholesterol issues now. I've taken medicine. I've got heart issues now. So um, I don't think it's transphobic for me to say that we don't know if I'm going to get women's symptoms of a heart attack or men's symptoms of a heart attack. That's not, that's not transphobic. That's like, 
that's common basis, common knowledge, right? But saying that kind of stuff makes you transphobic. And so when you start talking about ideology, it reminds me of something that most people in the LGBT hate, which is religion, which is, uh, you know, the ideology of, of uh, God, because you can take that belief in God, whether or not people want to admit it or not, and you can wrap it up however it suits you. Um, and you can take ideology and you can wrap it up however it suits you. You can make that fit whatever feeling you have. And those two things are dangerous. So when we're talking about what is trans and what isn't trans, trans is whatever the fuck you want it to be, just like religion is whatever the fuck you want it to be. And that's dangerous. It's absolutely dangerous for me. So. Yeah. And I think that's why we're all here, right? It's because, because the ideology has taken over healthcare. So it is, it is a, it's the religion of gender and not, and has nothing to do, or I mean, it's, it's being propagated by, by medical intervention. Um, But, and nobody, nobody outside sees, well, some people do, they just lose their jobs if they say so, Um, see how, how an ideology has, has, you know, uh, taken over what should be, you know, measured and, um, intensive healthcare. Um, going back, what I, when I say I, I would do it all over again, exactly the same. It's because yes, I feel I, I, I lived with the discomfort that that I, I yeah I didn't even know the extent of the discomfort until it went yep. away, um, and yep. and it's, it was such such a relief. Um, but then again, so I, I say I would do it all over again. I also wonder though. If I had given, if I had been given the cognitive tools to deal with dysphoria um, without altering my body, that probably would have been a better long-term solution. Absolutely. Um, but, but yeah, with 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 what it, what I knew at the time, I would I would have I would do it all over in a in a heartbeat because it, it actually brought more relief than I even had anticipated yeah. going into it. You know, so um, yeah, so so in, in that in that sense, I'm very. Um, yeah, very very happy with with my transition. One thing, like what what Kenneth was saying, I, uh, I, yeah, is is I, I remember thinking like this this will render me alone. Like that's what I was I was thinking going into it. But I I that for me that was like um something that I it was a, it was a bargain I was willing to make. Um, but I wasn't in I wasn't a lesbian before. I was only attracted to men before testosterone altered my sexuality um, in, in no, the other direction. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Off. <laughs> yeah, no. I, I, yeah. I yeah, I think I'm the only one here who wasn't a wasn't a lesbian originally. Now you date Grim- yeah. Well, the, my, my partner, uh, long-term partner is a, is a fellow trans man. Um, but yeah, when I, when I originally started testosterone within weeks, my, my sexual orientation dramatically shifted from men toward women. Um, and has mellowed out somewhere in the middle now, but, um, uh, but yeah, I, I, I think I, nope, you're not, you're not, we're, we're not taught, we're not instructed to kind of consider what physical transition does to your body, what that does to like the social sphere you, you, are in mm-hmm. um, how how the how the world is going to interpret you, um, and I see that so often with with because I think for us for trans men it shifts so dramatically. Like once once you're on testosterone, you suddenly occupy occupy a completely different space in the world. And I, I loved do. every minute of it. But for a lot of people, it's that's a lot to that's a lot to suddenly be, be thrust on a person without any external um, yeah without without the tools or the or even the template of of 
those who've come before you to really follow. But Aaron, Aaron you have to say, uh, Terrell, Aaron, what you said, I completely understand. Here's the problem. We had to medically alter our bodies, shave off 12 years of our life. I've got heart and lung damage. You know, people wonder why I'm so intense on stopping, you know, medical transition because I'm not going to live very long. I don't know if you guys see my videos and stuff. Some days I look rough. I don't feel well. I'm sick still and I will be sick. I won't be here long. So my intensity is because people need to know this. That wasn't an option for me on, on my health. Um, and the truth is this, is would we have had to transition, had to do this to our body? Had I not understood and accepted psychology with you know, my psychological stuff, who I am, if I accepted me, if society's accepted me, if all of this was accepting, would I have to miss the years I'm going to spend not be spending with my grandkids? Because I'm not going to be here probably more than five, 10 years. I mean, is that an option? If psychology, if, you know, I learned how to handle the fact that the type of woman I am was not accepted in society. I mean, it was not accepted even in the gay community. I mean, when I, when I talk about who, who I am and I know it just, it seems harsh right now, right? As a man, it seems harsh, but you know what? You put me in a room full of men, salesmen or whatever. And all of a sudden, I'm the fucking alpha. Scott, what are we doing? Where are we going? What's going on? How are we going to do that? Oh, my God, you're so cool. He's an asshole, but he's really not. It wasn't like that as a woman. I was the same woman where I'd walk in and go, sit down, shut the fuck up. Give me my numbers. You can talk about who you fucked later. Let's go. And people were like, and they didn't like that. You know, they didn't like the fact that I looked like Jillian Anderson in a business suit and all that kind of stuff. And so I never fit. So outside of that. Outside of that, I mean, I had respect, but then everybody was like, you know, boom, 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 boom. Now, after meetings, people are like, hey, Scott, what do you want to go? Uh, you want to go get something to eat or what's, uh, what's going on? They don't know I'm trans. But so here's my point, Aaron. All that stuff that we had to go through to get soothing, is it worth the physical health for people? Or is it basically that? We don't know what the fuck happens to people when they medically transition. Doing it to children is a travesty. Uh Who needs to change the medical industry or society? Because I haven't changed. And I tell this to, um, you know, the moms, I haven't changed. This has not changed when I'm out in business meetings and I'm closing deals and stuff. I mean, I do things where I just walk out of meetings and go, wow. That was easy. That was so easy where it would take me, you know, 10 closes as a woman. I used to call it cockfighting where the men used to want to, you know, see if they could knock me down. And once I got that, then they were like, okay, yeah, we'll listen to Kelly. Kelly knows what he's doing. Now it's just like, I say something and they're like, we'll take it. So that's my question. Mm -hmm. The misogyny inherent in the system. Yeah. I mean, it it sounds like if I'm kind of reading the room, right, it sounds like our transitions for all of us solved, uh, solved a certain problem for each of us. And that problem might've been different for each of us, but we do feel some relief from that problem. But the question is, was this the only and best way of solving that problem? So when they're talking about outcome measures, 
how do we measure that, right? Like, how do we measure? Okay, so someone were to survey all of us, like, did transition help you? Well, yeah, it, it did. So in, how, ways, in yeah. terms of, in some ways, but caused mm -hmm. other problems. So in terms of outcome measures, like, how would we measure whether this is an appropriate intervention when we're all saying, well, yeah, I do feel some comfort from having done this, but that doesn't necessarily prove that it was the best and correct intervention. I don't think we'll, yes. we'll know the answer to that. Sorry, Kenneth, go ahead. Well, I was going to say the, the alcohol and drug um, treatment industry, especially in BC, was hit hard like without, uh, with the outcome measure study that showed that um, unlimited access to detox, which is a seven-day um, intervention where people aren't able to access drugs or alcohol, so unlimited access to detox resulted long-term, and they, these were when they were doing 10, 5, 10, 15, 20-year outcome measures. It shortened people's lifespan. So now what? there, what, what, there what? was, there was, was an absolute un, unlimited access to detox. So detoxification for people with drugs and alcohol yeah. resulted in shortening people's lifetime, lifespan. People died faster, sooner, harder. When they detox. limited access to detox, so now you have to wait. So what it was in BC is you could walk into a detox center and be admitted that day. And then they put in a one-week waiting period. So putting in the one-week waiting period, limiting the access to detox, resulted long-term in increased lifespans of people with addictions because then they... Well, there was all sorts of theories about it, but there are no 5, 10, 15, 20-year studies. Like, I haven't been contacted by um, TransHealth BC to find out um, what, what do I think of having transitioned now that it's 15, 20 years later. But I was certainly contacted by them to find out if I wanted to have a phalloplasty. When phalloplasty got funded. Did you have that, so, by the way? No, no, I didn't end up having it. Uh, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do it. Yeah, I was looking into it for lots of complicated reasons, but I found out in the end that it wouldn't necessarily have helped any of the issues I was looking at having it for. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and likewise, nobody's contacted me, you know, 15 years later and asked how, you know, how's, how's it going? And um, I, I'm not, I don't go to the same clinic anymore. And the surgeon that did my, my metoidioplasty hasn't been in contact with me to, to see how it's going. So I don't know how they're really capturing. They're not. They're but these. the problem is, is that people aren't, people aren't talking. People yeah. aren't talking. It's strange for us to be talking like this in public. Now we all talk to each other in private and it almost feels like you are um, going against your tribe. But the, the fact is, is that if we pull most people apart or pull most trans people apart and talk to them without any buffer, um, there's always, I don't know if I would have done this. Maybe I would have done this different. And what I, what I found, and I don't know if it's the same for you guys, but what I found was, after transition was complete, and it's another thing that you did, said Aaron, that is just, Aaron Kimberly, that just resonates so incredibly, is the process of transition, the, the, 
the length of transition and the steps of transition almost solidifies that you're going to finish it because the idea that this is going to fix everything, but you have, you know, you have hormones and then you have surgery and then you have another surgery and then you've got your hair coming in and then you've got your name change and then you got your bottom surgery and then you got this, you got that. And there's such so many years that it takes. And the reason why I think the only long-term study shows that we're more suicidal after transition, because at some point we all have to sit back and go, wow, that didn't fix a fucking thing. You know, it's inside job. And so you sit back and do it. Here's the frightening thing that I have with children is that the children that are medically transitioning or the ones that we're pushing to medically transition all have comorbidities, uh, autism, depression, anxiety, bipolar, um, gifted, you know, all these things, they don't fit in. And so at a time when they're trying to, to figure out where they sit in the world and they have to go through that hard period where you sit in your room, and I think we've all been there where you cry and go, God, I wish I would fit in. I wish I fit in. I wish, and you didn't. And so you built that, you built that in, in your body that, Hey, you know what? Maybe I'm different and that's okay. I got through it. You know, I'm different and that's okay. I had my crying period and I got through it and I got stronger. Um, they're missing that period. Those kids are missing that period. They're missing that period because society and, and the medical industry is saying, Hey, there's a pill for this. So they're not dealing with that difference. They're not dealing with those cor- comorbidities. They're not getting that foundation we all get as children. And those are the kids that are 19 and 20 years old that di- don't have that underneath them that are going, all right, now I'm going to kill myself. And we need to start talking about that. We need to. And people won't talk about it. I've seen suicide notes. I get, you know, the detransers. These are all people that were pushing through that time in life are not giving that foundation, they're killing themselves. So getting yes. them to transition with they're going to kill themselves, they're right. It's just after that it's happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and what you said, you know, once you, once you start the interventions, I, I agree that there's sort of this, um, there's this forward pull. Like once you start, because people have said, well, you know, at what point could you just, could you just stop and go back? So I remember starting the hormones and thinking, okay, this... I mean, the, the, the change from the hormones is, is slow. So I remember w- kind of watching those changes and feeling like, okay, it's happening. And I was excited, but I hadn't arrived yet, right? I hadn't, I wasn't, it didn't, it still wasn't, hadn't fixed the, the thing that I was hoping to be fixed. I still didn't feel like I had arrived at, at this mysterious destination that I was after. And so then, then you think, well, maybe that's just because I haven't done the next step. So, okay, so yeah. I'm going to get the mastectomy. And that, maybe that's what is going to yeah. kind of help me to feel like I've, I've arrived. And, and that didn't really do it. And then and so you keep kept taking the next step and next step. Think, I've just not done my transition yet, right? So you yeah. think, oh, I just got to finish the transition. And then I will have, uh, you know, it'll... And I wasn't expecting it to fix everything. Like, I don't think, yeah. I, don't think I went into it thinking, oh, this is going to solve all of my problems. But... But even for me, you know, that you're right, that like I wasn't feeling better. So I got to take the next step. I'm not feeling better. I need to take the next step until, you know, you've reached the end of everything that can be done for you medically. And then the real work starts, right? And so some people, when they reach that point, they've done everything that they can do. They've got their bottom surgery. They got their mastectomies. They got everything done. Well, oh shit. Now, now what? Right. And, and 
So I think part of why I'm happier and in a much better place is that isn't because necessarily of the medical interventions. It, that, that work started when all those medical interventions, I kind of ran out of options at that point. And now I'm like, okay, well, now I need to dig in and do the hard work here. The hard work, right. The internal work, because there's nothing more medically that can be done. So you're right. That's, for some people, that's the point maybe that they bottom out and, and become suicidal. Um, fortunately, in my case, that was just, a, I think I had done enough of my internal work over the last 15 years that when I reached that point, yes, it was it was hard, but I, I stayed on my feet and, and dug into the emotional work that I need to do. But now that's not really doing talked that, about. Aaron, if you didn't go through what you went through as, as a teenager, we all know when I'm talking about the crying in the room, everybody does it, even people that fit. People like us that really don't fit, we did that work, right? Take that work away, Aaron. Mm-hmm. You did as a kid. Yeah. That you cried to your parents, I don't fit and that sucks. And your parents go, well, Aaron, you know, you got life is tough and try this and try that. And you, you built that core, right? That core of strength. Yeah. Remove that core. Take you back to that place where you had to do the internal thing. Tell me you wouldn't be more suicidal. Now, when people ask me why I'm so freaked out about kids, that's why. Because I'm the most vocal trans about this. So guess who reaches out to me? These kids. Mm-hmm. I don't sleep very much. You know why? Uh, no, uh, I'll find a suicide clinic. Hold on. Uh, Aaron, this person's killed himself. Uh, Stella, Stella, Stella. You know, I mean, what am I going to do? That's what I'm doing. And that's what we need to acknowledge. These kids have no foundation. What I've really dug into when I reached that point, um, I really dug into my history as a lesbian because there was so much strength, right? It modeled for me of how do we build a community. Like I came out at a time where our only lesbian bar in Winnipeg was kind of this underground CD little bar that, you know, you had to have a membership to enter or else members had to sign you in. And so, and pride marches were a hundred people, you know, with homemade placards, there were no big bright, you know, rainbows and sparkles and people cheering us on. It was a march to say enough with the homophobia and we had skinheads circling it. So I, I, I've experienced some real hardship, but also resilience having lived part of my life in the lesbian community. And, and that's a big source of strength for me, seeing how that got done, right? Seeing how a community was built, seeing how, um, how basic civil rights were won. Um, so you're right. Like if I didn't have that lived history and I did this as a teenager and then, and then bottomed out. Yeah. What, what would have been my strengths and resources? Yeah, What would you have been your percentage that you probably would have committed suicide or tried suicide a lot higher. It's transphobic what? not to talk about that. How about that? Yeah. When I bottomed out, I quit my job and went truck driving. Like I left yeah. Vancouver. Everybody's got a story. Bottom out. You had that foundation. What would have happened, Kenneth, if you didn't have that foundation? If at 13, a doctor looked at you and went, Kenneth, it's not your fault. You were born a man. All of the discomfort that you're feeling, it's, it's gone. It's going to go away. Thank God. We have a prescription. Here's the prescription. Stop crying in your room. It's not your fault. You're not wrong. It's this. This is it. And then take that to the time where you, where you went truck driving. Oh, tell me that you wouldn't oh. have thought about killing yourself. Oh, yeah. 
Well, I, That's I, what we I, need I to consider, yeah, I, I consider myself lucky because I went through a stage where you had to be referred to a psychiatrist to get surgery. And the psychiatrist I was referred to said, I don't think you're transsexual because you don't know and you haven't addressed your sexuality. What's, what, who, what are you sexually attracted to? Who are you sexually attracted to? What kind of sexual relationship do you see yourself being in? Um, do, you, do you see yourself as a man married to a woman? Um, do you see yourself as a man wanting to be with a man now as a homosexual male? So I luckily had the work that he had me go through before he'd approve my um, testosterone to fall back on because he, 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 he had me address a whole bunch of stuff that the affirmations model doesn't even look at. You know, and I really didn't really address it until um, I had a lesbian look at me and say, well, I'm not attracted to men, so I don't want to date you. Yep. And that's when it hit me. And it was two months after that that I went truck driving. Yep. But, yeah, exactly what you're talking about. Um it, it, when, if all of you get is yes, 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 you don't know how to deal with the no appropriately when it comes. Yep. You know, was that person transphobic? No, she was simply attracted to women. Right? Yep. And you don't look and like I, one, biologically. Exactly. You, you don't look like yeah. a woman. I always say exactly. funny stuff. Get into the funny stuff. For me, do you people say what is the biggest surprise about seeing the world with male eyes? And I shit you not. It's the fact that I've realized that some women are attracted to men. I thought they were faking it. I really did. Because, <laughs> you know, I always had the I always had the, you know, I'm straight, I'm straight, and then the door would close at, you know, hotel business meetings and something, and all of a sudden, you know, Tiger Tina comes out. And I'm like, I thought you were straight. Um, you know, so I always thought that it was just, all these women were faking it. And, uh, my, my ex, who I live with, this is my best friend. We watched this one movie where, um, Steve Carell, have you ever seen his movie where he's like this dork and this person's trying to make him into this stud dude or whatever. Yeah. Do you see that? Yeah. There's a place in there that my ex watches all the time and cracks up where he's dressing and there's this beautiful woman helping him dress with a, you know, cool dude trying to teach him how to be cool. And uh, the cool guy goes, you'd sleep with him, wouldn't you? And and she goes, yeah, I would. I would. And he's like, what? What are you saying? That's me. You know, with I mean, so there's lots of fun stuff with with transitioning, too. But uh, anyways, so. Yeah. Yeah. I want to I was thinking when uh, uh, Kenneth, you were talking about seeing that. Uh, um, the psychiatrist, the psychologist who, who made you kind of drill into, into your, uh, you know, what you were after, you know, it's, it's, I, when I was considering uh, bottom surgery, I went and saw a therapist because it was required because my, my insurance, my work insurance was going to cover it. Finally, I just needed to uh, actually see a therapist. I never saw a therapist for uh, gender transition because um, I was 27, no m mental health comorbidity. So I was just signed off all the way um, until I wanted to get the, um, 
the bottom surgery. And so I went and saw this um, <laughs> uh, marketed as queer, queer friendly uh, therapist who told me I could tell her whatever I wanted and she would write me the letter because she didn't believe in gatekeeping. And that's when the kind of bottom fell out for me. Like, this is, this is not healthcare. This is not, this is not safe or reasonable on any level. Um, and, and yeah, that's kind of where I, where I halted things and then didn't go any further. Cause I was like, what maybe that, yeah, this, this is a religion and it is not healthcare. Um, yeah. I just wanted to throw that do in you, there. Do you think that the conversation, like a thorough assessment and a conversation about some of those deeper things, do you think that would have been harmful for you in no. any way? No, no. And, and if it would be harmful to anyone, that's a problem right there, right? Like if, if you can't, if you can't have those, those deep, serious conversations about your motivations or, or what brought you to this point or what, you know, what's going on internally, if you can't have that conversation, you certainly aren't mentally capable to have majorly invasive surgery for cosmetic reasons. Um, like we are going about this, 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 this safety narrative is completely backwards. Mm -hmm. So um, Kenneth, for you, when, when the psychiatrist was asking questions about, you know, your sexual orientation and those kinds of things, was, was that harmful for you? Well, it was helpful in that he was also giving me a set of tools to look at, examine, and address those issues, even though, like, I never understood what he was talking about but he said basically he said you have a fork and you're digging a hole and a fork is not a good tool to dig a hole so how about try this big spoon okay so it's still not working for you to use this big spoon to dig this hole so this is what a small shovel is this is how a small shovel works by the end of the two years Working with him, I understood how to use a fucking backhoe to dig a hole. That's pricey. Um, so I didn't address the issue of my sexual attraction um, until I was actually faced with it. When I was faced with it, I understood what it was. I understood the cognitive dissonance I experienced in that moment. And I had... I, I didn't just go spiraling down in an uncontrolled spiral. I I had something to fall back on. I I, I had I had a, a foundation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And that's what I, these kids I, are going to be. I had a structure on which to go forward. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And, and it doesn't have to be an either or where we we either do the psychological work or do the medical transition. And and this is where I think oh. we've gone so horribly wrong is that even the medical part, there's still it's still a psychological process that probably who knows? I mean, that could be the rest of my life that I'm working on that process. So even if someone chooses to medically transition, doing that psychological work up front and, and through the transition, I think is, how does, how is that harmful? Like that goes a long way to being a, an emotionally and psychologically healthy person. So for some people, I think doing that psychological work, they may realize, well, that's enough. And now I don't need to medically transition. Some may still want to medically transition, but just be able to do it in a much more healthy same way so that their their medical transition is more successful here's what i don't understand is is it seems like 
people that we're pushing to medically transition as people who have medically transitioned are the worst people to medically transition. Of course, kids, suicidal kids, worst people to medically transition. It's not going to get better. You know, people that can't handle being called the pronouns that they, they see that people see and hear and they flip out because they can't handle that. Those are the worst people to medically transition. You know, all the things that, that, uh, you know, trans radicals are pushing, you know, uh, don't, don't misgender me. Well, then don't look like the opposite gender. You know, I mean, it's, it's just nuts. The people that we're pushing to medically transition are the worst people unequivocally to do it. And so when somebody argues with me and goes, well, I'm going to kill myself if I don't medically transition, I go, well, then there's a no, there's an absolute no. We need to lock you up and figure out that before you even consider that. But for some reason, that's transphobic to say people that can't handle stuff. Yeah, you're great for medically transitioning us. We've been through it. It's it's hard. I feel like they're all encouraged to have an external locus of control. And that's basically going to um, (laughs) it can't it can't it can never end well. Yeah, I mean, that that attitude of give me what I want is now and as fast as possible. I mean, we see that that attitude playing out in other areas of the world and how they're living their lives, right? Like, what do you mean you won't date me as a trans person? Well, I mean, it, it, it's breeding this sense of, of mental instability and entitlement that I'm just, people just need to give me what I want when I want it, right? It's like yep. you did the hormones. Well, how, how far can I push that to my dating world or my, my employment world or, you know, and how mentally healthy is that? And, and we're seeing all these societal problems and these very unstable people being, being transitioned. And, and that's come the backlash and that is we're all feeling that backlash, right? And when people are, are out there and they're not mentally well, um, it's fueling even greater hostility towards all of us as trans people. And I, I feel like the, the, the direction that the, the clinical world has taken is, plays a role in that. I think they're responsible for that, that poor, poor mental health outcome. I feel like I was pushed to medically transition by professionals. I really do. I mean, I, I talk about that. I mean, the first, um, the first therapist I ever saw it was probably about five o'clock and it was after work. And I had, I, I talk about this. I had female uh, slacks on and a shirt and I had earrings on. I mean, I wasn't butch at all, uh, but I wasn't overtly, you know, dressed up or had a lot of makeup on. And, you know, she asked me, well, how long have you been dressing like a man? And I was like, I mean, I was in such a vulnerable place, even at 40 years old, you know, I was, I was in a relationship with a woman who was convinced that I was a man because of my personality. How misogynistic is that? You know, I had a therapist tell me that, uh, how long have you been? And so even at 40, you know, 142, I kind of went, Oh God, this has been the problem my whole life. You know, when I went to a, a medical person to get my, uh, you know, my female stuff taken out, well, have you ever been tested for intersex? Your jaw is this. And I was like, Oh, oh wow. I mean, even to the point where, you know, two weeks before my phallioplasty, I was seeing a therapist, uh, because I was pissed off at my wife because everything was about making sure people didn't know I was trans. And, you know, she said I was very angry. I said, yeah, I'm very fucking angry. And I don't think I want to do this phallioplasty, you know, getting pushed to do that. And, and uh, she goes, well, what's going to be different if you wait a year to do the phallioplasty? Well, bitch, maybe I would have known that the doctor I was getting it with has nine medical malpractice cases in San Francisco is can't conduct surgery in California. 
um, and has about 57 other people that he's mutilated. Maybe I would have had time to figure that out within a year, you know? And so it was just for me, even at 40 years old, that affirmation of, you know, it's not your fault. You're not different. You were supposed to be this, this is going to fix it. You know, took me for a loop. Mm -hmm. And, and Aaron, I do know people that medical transition has helped. I do, but I'm sorry. You're never going to get me to say that it's anything other than cosmetic surgery. It's nothing more than lipstick that women wear or boob jobs or, you know, and until I always say this until women are running down the street with their tops off, showing off their double D's, convincing everybody that they didn't get plastic surgery. They were born with them. You know, that's what's happening. And it's nuts. It's absolutely nuts. Mm-hmm. When you're talking about outcomes, Aaron, I, th- I think um, we're like, yeah, we, we don't know how to measure. Well, there currently isn't a system in place. And, I, and that's going to be different depending on age and, and the actual sex of the individuals in question. But I think even once, once we do know how to measure um, the outcomes and, and weigh the pros and cons here, there's no doubt in my mind we're going to determine that we have been solving software problems with carving up hardware, and, it's, and there's no way it's going to be deemed. We, history is going to look back absolutely aghast that we did this. Um, and while, while yes, I do, I do feel a great sense of relief from my physical transition, we, we are, yeah, that's all I can say is, is we're, we're solving software issues by carving up hardware and it's completely unsustainable and will ultimately be deemed unethical. And trans activists, I'm sorry, but trans activists like Morgan Ogre and stuff, let me tell you, history is not going to fare lightly on her. Mm. History is going to yeah. be like, you know, looking back on how did Hitler convince everybody that Jewish people needed to be killed? How did Ogre convince a whole country that, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be the same thing. It's going to be the same thing. And, and it surprises me how we can allow people like Ogre to speak the kind of stuff that she speaks. And nobody says anything in your country. You know, the fact that she can't stand up and talk to anybody that's trans about anything. It's got to be quotes and in, in uh, but as soon as you say something to her, she like skewers like a rat, mm-hmm. you know, and, and these are the people that your country's Canada's going, yep. Okay. What does Ogre say? Ogre says the wall's purple. The wall's purple. Okay. I'll, I, I've got a side question. That'll just take us a step back a moment, but did anyone get questioned regarding their culture's tradition regarding sex and gender roles. Like, I'm Norwegian and Scottish, so in both of my traditional cultures, I have a tradition of strong... This this whole idea that you can't be a woman because, you know, you want to do A, B, C, or D basically didn't really exist in my culture. But that was never addressed at all by the affirmations people um, during my transition process. That was something that the psychiatrist asked me about, but I never really looked into until after I was confronted with the fact that you're not a woman as I see a woman. Like visually, your presentation is not something I see as female and attractive. So... Um, I barely remember my hormone readiness assessment, really, but 
I don't remember that being asked, that cultural or just kind of family dynamics piece really being talked about. Yeah, I, I, I know it's a step back from where we, we were at, but it goes back to that. Um, sorry, I got my dog trying to. She's bored. He's cute. Um, or she. She. Um, it, it, it goes back to that question of long-term outcomes, right? Because, like, my parents have passed away, and I'm learning more and more about um, just how much gender nonconformity went on in my family, like, in the 19, 1930s, 1940s, my grandmother um, allowed all of her daughters to wear pants. Actually, she made all the clothing for her family. Um, so she made the jeans for her daughters to wear. So we're talking um, 1940s high school in Canada. And she allowed her children to wear jeans because that's what they wanted to do. There was not in. When I question whether or not I would have done this, I look a lot at. Nobody had me look into how was gender. How was the expression of your sex and your gender dealt with in your traditional context? And yeah. that frustrates me because. So you, you feel I like think, you weren't able to express yourself as a butch woman. Is that right? Is that what you're saying? Oh, my, my problem with trying to express myself as a butch woman in the lesbian community was the butches who were physically attracted to me kept telling me I had to be a femme because yeah, they found imagine. me physically attractive because, you know, I was you know, 150 pounds thinner and blonde haired, blue eyed. Um, so they found me attractive. So they told me I couldn't possibly be butch because I had to be femme. The same thing happened to me. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, so, I, I found, I found, you know, the, the butch femme thing for daunting. me, for, well, for me, there were aspects of it that worked because my masculinity was seen and validated and there was a way for me to express it. But it, the, the scene is also, um, it's very limited. Like it, it sort of models itself after 1950s dating yep. courtship rituals and stuff. And um, so, yeah, you kind of had to to learn, you know, read 1950s dating books to figure out how to, <laughs> how to do it. You know, walk on the, walk on this side of the sidewalk, not this side of the sidewalk. And like, so Isn't that the truth? it was still, it, it still was based on these rules, not unlike, gender ideology now where there's these certain rules that you have to follow like at what point do i just get to be myself right like, right yeah <laughs> um, isn't homophobia is alive and well is alive and well <laughs> and the fact is is that lesbians come all feminine not feminine butch and just and same with you know gay guys it's hilarious to me when people think that only gay men are are you know oh how's it going no it's like Gay men come all different ways, and so do lesbians. And, and so, unfortunately, I think the transgenderism is the fact that we have superseded homophobia that nobody's talking about. It's still there. So. Yes. Yeah, and there were the you know there was these little there isn't a single 
LGBT community, there's a, there's a bunch of little communities, right? And and you know, like the Butch Femme scene and the leather scene and like all these different different. You know, I was joking with you, Scott, the other day about you know the 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 lesbian baseball <laughs> the lesbian baseball team scene with their I miss you know caps the caps put you know worn backwards and stuff and so there's these different scenes but they so they're there are places where certain gay and lesbian people can carve out spaces for themselves, but there's still those of us that are these like outliers for some reason and still don't fit into any one of these scenes easily because we're not butch enough or we're not femme enough or we're not this or that or. Um, so in terms of outcome measures, I don't know how we measure outcomes in a really accurate way because it's not as simple as yes, I'm happy or no, I'm not happy. Like it, it, it depends, right? And, um, and just because we are happier doesn't mean there wasn't another path to being happy that that could have equally worked or better or worked better or or at least avoided some of the the medical complications that we're that we're having. But the other thing about uh, outcome measures. There's other things that make that hard. I mean, one is you can't just cherry pick and and survey certain people that are within this, you know, really active in the trans community and utilizing services because so many of us have left that or or never belonged in the gay and lesbian community, right? Like like you, Aaron, that that was never your scene, and and so it sounds like even like now that that's not really you're not really active in in the community. So so. A, I mean, just collecting that sample, like how would they reach us? Like, Kenneth, you're on the road and, you know, truck driving and, and we've all kind of scattered different places in the country. So we're not the ones being surveyed. A is a problem. So it's a very biased sample that they tend to get. Um, and B- I turned into a lesbian, by the way. I went and got my hat. Awesome. Uh, so now, we, <laughs> now, now we won't misgender you. Are you attracted to me now, Ken? Can we cuddle now? <laughs> oh, yeah, I love it. Um, well, you know what? I, I've, uh, talking about misgendered, I've, I've gone through my social media. I mean, it's not a whole bunch of places, but I've put down uh, for my pronouns, um, I, me, my, and it. Because I'm figuring if, it, well, you know what? If they're going to play the game... They, they, they have violated all the rules of English grammar. So I, my, my, I have a male social gender presentation. That makes me a lot more comfortable in the job that I'm now working in. I no longer have to deal with all the bullshit of heterosexual males hitting on me. That's just like completely disappeared. And I find the... Gay males who do hit on me are a younger crowd, and so coming um, approaching me as a younger man, they're very respectful. In 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 how so, I have all of that advantage, and I I, I appreciate that advantage. Um, but I'm also sexually attracted to women who are attracted to women, um, so. I no longer really see myself as having a identity that I invest in as far as gender goes. So as far as the 
politically correct the trans radical activist rules around gender. Um, I don't see myself as having one. So when I do get sent these surveys going, do you identify as blah, 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 I don't tick into any other boxes, so I don't answer their surveys because their surveys mm. don't capture me where I am going. I ha um, I'm more identi identified now with uh, radical feminists than I had been in the last year learning about what trans radical activists are doing. Um, trans radical feminists say I'm not, I'm no longer a woman because I've crossed the line of masculinity to the point where I no longer qualify for that category. Um, and then I had the, um, the lesbian feminists telling me that people couldn't call me she or her or Kelly, which is my birth name. Um, I do. Because that's, that, that's, um, trans two errands and two Kelly's here. I know. Right. Yeah. So, 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 so I'm no longer entitled to that name. And then I got gender ideology coming at me and I'm going, I don't identify with any of this stuff. So, I got backed up and I went, okay, yeah, so I am no, I no longer have a gender identity category. So I'm picking those pronouns that are actually gender neutral and singular. Because <laughs> so, I, <laughs> I think sometimes they do that just to make other people uncomfortable. The only time I have problems so I with. I decided uh, to make them uncomfortable. The only time I have problems with pronouns, and I, I very rarely do have, I, I really don't, is when. If somebody does a comment like after I do an interview and they go, uh, let's be real. It's a she. And I was like, oh, thanks, Captain Obvious. I mean, it's just it's just asshole. I just don't understand that. Other than that, it's like, you know, what are you going to do? Teach us that the world is, is not flat now? I mean, come on. But other than that, I don't care. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing about the surveys is. Um, I'm not sure how honestly people are really answering them either. Like, especially if they're if they're immersed in in the ideology, it, they've got blinders on that makes it really hard for them to take in any information that that it contradicts the ideology. So, I think for them to to question the appropriateness of the intervention, you know, to question the appropriateness and the effectiveness of of their physical transition, I, I think. They just can't go there. A lot of them in their minds, they they just can't, and and they feel such a loyalty to the community that I think a lot of them are going to answer those questions dishonestly because they feel like they don't want to compromise the community or they don't want to ruin anyone else's transition or um. You know what, Aaron? I don't I know just if I'm seeing that right, but no, you are absolutely totally. You know what I think is interesting that you just said that just popped in my head was that um, trans people don't want to talk, trans radicals don't want to talk to people because then it, it invalidates this theory that they have that mm -hmm. makes them think. And when you think, you kind of look back and go, this is all bullshit kind of a thing. And I'm going to piss people off. That's cool. I do it for a living. Um, you know, it's the same thing as kind of evangelicals. Very, 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 very religious people. Have you ever noticed? They don't talk to people that don't believe the, the way that they believe. Because it, it's going to push them to think. And if you push somebody to think about religion in general, you cannot not question religion and have open conversations. 
So you have evangelicals that sit right here in this little group and they all kind of jack each other off that, oh yeah, this is how I believe. And I can't, I can't do this. And you got over here, the trans they're all jacking each other off. And you know, the people in the middle that make sense are never heard. You know, the fact is, is that if you intertwine the evangelicals with different people and you intertwine the trans radicals with different people, they're all going to come out and go, well, I was fucked. It's, it's like a cult mentality on, on both sides. And it's the reason why there's little, you know, rat packs. You know, it's the reason why Morgan doesn't talk to anybody. You know, she does her little, oh, I'm going to say this and then, and then pop out. No, oh, transphobic. And then run away. Because you can't, I can't have a conversation with her without her not looking like an asshole by the end of it. So. Yeah, well, exactly. And that, going back to the question of a survey, like, there, I, I'm not good on my stats and stuff, but there was uh, a review of the research. There's a term for that. Um, so the, the review said that the methodology that was um, the, the research where there was sound methodology, so the, the larger sample sizes, stuff like that, um, indicated that um, it, it was on suicidal ideology. Um, and, but one of the questions they brought up was regarding um, a, a small sample-sized um, research paper where there were 32 respondents to the survey, and it commented that there was no control as to how many times an individual could answer the survey because it was an online survey and everything else about this review of the research paper was thrown entirely out of the issue and they were called transphobic because they questioned the research methodology of this study saying that um, transitioning helped people with suicidal ideations. Um, so with, with all of the present methods they're using, um, online research has become very, very popular and there's no control in online research as to how many times an individual answers that survey. All you got to do is create another email address. Like mm -hmm. that's what this one survey had said. Um, and it's true. So there's, there, there's a subsection of the population who are overly emotionally invested in a specific outcome happening. So they're answering these surveys more than once mm -hmm. in order to push the, the outcome in the direction that they believe is that way. It's their truth. Their sort for it has to be the truth. Yeah, and the other issue with with quality of evidence is, you know, the stand the the gold standard in um, in medicine, you need a control group, right? Like, so we have to when we're comparing outcomes, we have to be able to compare that to something else in order to really evaluate the quality of that outcome. And there's what's the control group? Right. 
right? So it's not like we have one cohort that, that had psychological interventions and one, one cohort had the medical interventions and then we compare like who turned out better. Like we, we, don't, we don't have that. So we, we're, we're doing the best to kind of limp through and, and, and make the most of, of, of what we've done and, and what was offered to us. But we really have no idea, like where would I be today if I had taken a different path? Do you think we'd ever will have that kind of compare that 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 control group where there's there's a certain yeah. cohort I would think of a sp- specific age and, and uh, natal sex, and then same cohort sent through like cognitive therapy versus you know physical transition. I agree with you, Scott. I don't think yeah, that, that 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 will never happen. Um, but uh, that would be that would be interesting to see. Obviously, I you know I I I'll. I'll say this until the day I die. What's happening right now, what we're watching, what, what, what we're involved in, it, it's like how people look back on, on Hitler in Germany. I'm, I'm serious. In, in 25, 50 years, people are going to be having wine uh, going, how did they convince a generation of kids without any medical studies, no evidence it helps, no evidence on, on what it does to physically. How could we let a generation of uh, males <laughs> die from osteoporosis at 35? How did we you know, do this to, to lesbians and gay people? It, it's going to be outrageous what people are talking about in 50 years. We're, we are watching that thing in history that we all look back on and go, God, that would have been amazing to see how that worked. We're involved in it. We are unequivocally involved in it. I agree with you. When people say it's you know, like uh, akin to, to electroshock and lobotomy, I can see that except worse. Yeah. much worse, so much more invasive. And we're doing it to perfectly healthy children for, for religious. It, 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 yeah, it's, yeah. We, I just keep, I think we all do keep going back to, to, to being religiously motivated because that's the only thing that explains the capture. Yeah. They're connected because they are the same. The ideology that holds evangelicals together, which you cannot hold that together if you challenge it. You just can't. I don't care how many people I piss off. The evangelicals, you cannot hold that together unless you hold everybody else out and everybody within that circle is jacking each other off. And if somebody looks off, they're no, 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 right here. Yeah. It's the same thing with transgenderism. When you pull that apart, it shatters. But the problem I think that we have is being, um, being who we are, being marginalized, dealing with the things that we have done, there is a point at which medical transitioning can help some people, but it's not a cure-all. It's cosmetic surgery, and it's it's nothing deeper than that, and that is not transphobic to say it. So we need to break up those those parties, and, and guys, that's what we're doing, by the way. Those, those transphobic stuff, you know, I might be the loudest, the most grotesque, and the screaming because I don't have very much time to mess around. But you guys, you know, if, when I'm not here, you got to break that stuff up. You got to just, and you don't have to be hateful and loud like me, but you got to go in and go, I don't know if that makes sense. And get those people away from each other, you know, and just like talk to them. Cause that is emotionally the most beneficial for these kids. These kids have got to have people in those conversations, making them think you got to make people think however you do it. And, you know, you can be afraid of not wanting to be out or this or that. But I'm telling you, us, we're saving lives. 
We are absolutely unequivocally saving lives. Aaron, we were talking last week, um, speaking with, like, so I grew up evangelical uh, Christian, and I, I see the exact, the exact things you're talking about, Scott, happening. Um, but one of the things that, that, that the, the house of cards that is trans is built on is this idea that uh, we got two different fronts, right? You've got this, this, this serious medical uh, condition that has to, be, has to be dealt with with medical transition. Otherwise, you know, you'll kill yourself. Uh, yada yada, and then the other the other side of that coin is that is that it's all um, just this internal gender identity that's um, uh, really quite that that's the religious portion of it all, um, and and these two these two kind of the, uh, the the gender identity versus gender dysphoria camps um, completely exist in conflict. They they're always contradicting each other, and so that's the we we know it colloquially as the too cute versus true scum or trans med debate. Um, but when you so so there's so much hostility between these two camps is because because when you put the two together, um, they they collapse each other. They completely invalidate each other. And so like I was saying to Aaron last week is like when you same thing if you take somebody of a strict uh, faith and compare their faith to a different faith. Nothing but hostility happens there because they can't both be right. And the insecurity that's built when the when they two come face to face, they can't handle it because yep. because they yeah can't both be right. And that's what we're seeing here happen is is just so much so much hostility. Um, and and yeah, most people outside don't don't understand it. Don't see what's going on here. Um, but yeah, it's it's the same exact thing that drives that, yep. that drives religious hostility and also religious affiliation is is that that kind of in group validation and um and how how scary anything outside of it is. Um, but yeah, yeah, that's that's what I think is going on. You gotta yeah, break up those groups. It is scary when because it, I think that the similarity is that it's a it's a worldview, right? It's it's a way it's a lens through which they're looking at not just the trans experience, but the, but the whole world and and how all these complex relationships are are fitting together. And so it is scary when somebody's worldview is is being challenged yeah. and 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 shattered. But um, and your instinct is to block that out. Yeah. But gray is where life is. Gray is where um, mental health strives. But gray is also the hardest mm -hmm. place to be. So people are always wanting to put people black or white. But unfortunately, people don't fit black or white. Sexuality teaches us that, right, Aaron? You know, change some, some things in your life, change a hormone, and then all of a sudden, wait a second, mm -hmm. I contracted. You know, mm -hmm. so that changes. And, you know, I, I had an experience, and I talk about it, I talk about it lightly, but the experience that I had, I swear to God, I'm going to write a book about it, was being married to an evangelical, you know, being married to uh, a woman who, who pushed me basically to think that I was a man in, in doing that. And then also knowing her family with all the conversations and the conversion therapy and the, you know, you're going to hell, fire, damnation, this and that. And I hated those people. I fucking hated them. Well, I met them as Scott. They thought that I was just a straight man that saved her, right? And I hated him. Well, after a couple of years, I, man, I loved her family, every single one. And it gave me the perception that, hey, maybe the people that we hate just have a different perception, just have a different life experience, just have a different hormone 
that they produce just have a different, you know, serotonin level, just has a different view, just has a different financial economy, just has different experiences, just has a different gender, just has different this. And the core of every human, there's very few evil people in the world. The core of human beings are good people. We want to do good. We want to help people. There's very few people that get off on hurting other people. And if we pull down the fact that nobody is black and nobody is white and anybody that is black or white, they are not the healthy ones. It's in the middle. It's in the middle where you can say, you know what? I don't agree with you, Kenneth. I think that I could, we could be good together, Kenneth. You might not think it, but I could put on some lipstick and we'll be good together. No, what I'm saying is, is that when we put ourselves in that gray area is when everything good happens, but people want to put us in black and people want to put us in, in white. You know, I had some radical feminists that, that really went after me hard and it hurt. It hurt because that's, those are my people, right? Well, you know what? Yes. I decided that, you know what? They said a lot of stuff that I needed to listen to. They weren't all right about everything. And some of them were really, really fucking hateful. But if you, if you allow yourself to come to that gray area, that's where all the solutions are. The trans agenda right now the Morgan Ogres, the Yonics, and all the, you know, people, they're black. There's nothing in the middle. There's nothing good that's going to come out of that. There's nothing good that comes out of evangelicals. There's nothing good of that. It's in the middle. All we are is combustible energy that's breaking that shit up because we know what's coming for these kids. Nobody else does. And if you watch children if you are a parent my son just fell in love for the first time in his life and i see him in his eyes and how happy he is with with what's happening with his future i remember him at you know at a year who would not sleep unless he was right here you know and i i saw all his trials and tribulations of life i love that kid if we take a little bit of that and put that into society, even into the evangelicals who we think that we would hate, which we wouldn't if we knew their past, if we knew why they thought that way, that might allow more people to get into the gray. And that is where solutions are, is in the gray. All we are is energy busting up the black and white. What do you well, think? I, I, this is a hard question, but I mean, for those that are stuck in the trans ideology, what do you think they think happens if that bubble gets burst? Because I mean, we live outside of that bubble. So what, what do you think they think would happen if, if they it just validates them? Stopped thinking that way. Because like, they experience that quite, they have straight, strong emotions about that, right? I mean, we've all experienced what happens when you say anything that doesn't fit within that ideology. I mean, do, do you think that they. Well, here's, here's one theory I've heard, that, that somehow we've been brainwashed by, you know, these radical feminists or whoever, the Christians, or they think somebody's brainwashed us and that they're just using us to achieve their political goal and then, and then they'll be done with us and stab us in the back. So that's, that's, one of, that's one of the theories that I've heard out there that 
So there's this fear. You've already right? stabbed me in the back, so I'm I've already been there. I still love him though. <laughs> cool. well, you stabbed me in the back. I know that hurt. Can we talk now? Because I arrived here not because anyone brainwashed me. I arrived here because I I worked stuff out in my own head, and then and then I saw people that that thought similarly to me. So, uh, and I I. I haven't disappeared and I haven't, you know, imploded or anything. Like I, I think I'm doing okay having arrived here. So you know why I think it it people take it so seriously, trans ideology and black and white is because I mean let's just get real. Can we just get real? It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. You know, if if I'm out and or you know, making a phone call in sales. You know, when I get excited, my voice goes up and, you know, if I'm not focused on that. People go, well, hey, how are you, sis? And it's embarrassing. I'm just like, oh, God, I'm not doing that character very well. Um, and so when people are embarrassed, it causes them to react certain ways, you know, but it's reality. So for me, it's taken me a while to just if somebody, you know, misgenders me. It's not about me. It's not about them. It's about reality. And reality is all right. Reality lives in the gray. So, you know, what is what? Well, exactly. The question that came to my mind, Aaron, um, was what if the idea was put forward that we're just fine the way that we are and yeah. actually society is what needs to change to accept that gender is a very complex construct and people need to be allowed to express that construct however they wish and then their biology is their biology and how they express their gender is how they express their gender and there is no need for complex medical interventions we just as a society and as a culture as we're developing into this one world um, whatever the heck it's getting called, um, oligarchy, um, that, you know, people, people can express their gender however they want. Um, and I, I don't know if I'm expressing what I'm expressing, if I'm expressing this correctly, but why the hell couldn't I be a female bodied person and be as masculine as I friggin' wanted to be, you know, like I no longer have to defend my masculinity. So I find myself being far more feminine than I used to be when I was a woman trying to defend my right to be masculine. Yeah. I saw the look. Yeah. 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 As, as Scott's and making I, jewelry and, Oh yeah, let me. Yeah. <laughs> I this before I. I mean, I bought this kind of stuff for my daughter, by the way. Who's, anyways? So I'm obsessed in it. I love making jewelry now. I don't care. Yeah, and and I think that very type of thinking and that very reasoning threatens the trans radical advocates, um, because then where would they be if people didn't need to transition? What if? Like, what the fuck is masculine, right? If, if you go back into history, is wearing a dress masculine or feminine? Well, let's go back 10,000 years. Depends on what um, time frame. Actually, wear, exactly. Wearing robes is very, very masculine. And the only people who girded their loins on a regular basis were menstruating women. 
So the whole idea of pants was ha, feminine. Um, you know, is, is being wanting to be a medical doctor masculine or feminine? Well, go back far enough. It was feminine. Come forward. It was masculine and then feminine and then masculine. And now it's becoming feminine again. So, you know, all of these markers we use to say, oh, this boy is feminine. Um, I mean, I think my nephew, my one nephew is really lucky because he went through a stage um, where he was painting his nails and doing all sorts of stuff that would have been seen as feminine and he would have been forced to transition if some of these trans radical activists had got to him. But now look at him 20 years old. He's quite happy to be a boy. Or a Isn't that funny? I think whatever puberty, you see 20 year olds has. Puberty yeah. really does set people through. I mean, I had both my sons that uh, when they started hit puberty, they shaved their legs. They hated it. It was different. They hated it. And I'm like, oh, God. You know, and I'm, you know, because I'm in society too. Now they're, you know, totally fine with it. You know, I had, my daughter was really into masculine stuff. And so it's just, it, I think we're reacting too much as parents. We're reacting too much. I mean, people say, oh, my daughter just uh, said that she's non-binary. How do I react? <laughs> okay. All right. Check me in, you know, and oh, my daughter or son said that they're, they're homosexual. All right. Well, they're 12. They're not having sex with anybody. Why are we talking about this? Oh, uh, move on. Um, I think we overreact to stuff. I think we absolutely overreact to stuff. Yeah. And where, where did this concept that gender is fixed at four years old come from? Cause the only where, where place I've really seen that quoted a lot is in the trans, um, trans research stuff. Well, people knew from the time they were three, people knew from the time they were four, but where is that really? Cause with the kids I've been around raising as an aunt, um, because that's what I am in my family. I'm their aunt. Um, kids don't really get the sense of who they are as male or female until their early twenties. That's, that's when I see that really starting to gel for an in individual. Otherwise they're constantly being given messages about how to be a boy as a boy or how to be a girl as a girl, and then how to be a young man or a young woman, and then how to be a, man or a woman and then in their 20s when they experience the emancipation in this culture and they're recognized as adults that's when who they are as male or female seems to really begin to gel for them so where did we get this idea that gender is fixed at four because there's a couple in bc that successfully had their four-year-old transitioned yeah i know it's a nightmare but it's be British Columbia. Where it came from is a good question. Uh, yeah. It's it's a it's a whole societal capture right now. I had a conversation with Stella O'Malley last week. I love that conversation, by the way. That was great. It is. Oh, good. thank you. Um, and and I was surprised. I think because we're all in our own realm, right? I was surprised with how much she dealt with gender dysphoria. You know, I mean. Stella's a hottie, man. She's like a, you know, she's a hottie and like feminine and just, you know, very, she crosses her legs and does that little sexy stuff. And it's like, wait a second, you had gender where, and I, I remember sitting back going, 
now I'm all fucked up. I thought it was just homosexual people. Now it's everybody. Um, and so, of course, I wanted to do black or white. So Stella went, nope, it's the gray again. And I went, oh, shit. You know, um, you know, so gender dysphoria hits, hits people. And I, you know, and, and it comes back to the fact that keep coming back to the fact that as human beings, we try to make everything black and white. And it's just not. It's not. And transgenderism is basically trying to put people black or white. I mean, talk about misogynistic. I mean, basically what makes you male or female <laughs> is boys that like this and girls that like this and, and girls and boys come in different ways. Right. Women are supposed to be very submissive in this and that. Well, don't tell my mother that my mother's coming to stay with me for a week. And my ex-mother-in-law, who's like a hippie who, you know, says, oh, love is an, or happiness is an inside job. My mom that wears fake eyelashes and everybody thinks is a drag queen at 70 is like, fuck that, Melody, let's go get some margaritas. You know, women aren't supposed to act like that. Does that mean my mom's not a woman? I'll, I'll guarantee you, you won't think she's a man. Uh, you know, so she doesn't fit. She's in the gray, but she looks like how women are supposed to look. She doesn't, you know, she doesn't talk the way women are talk, but so it's all gray, right? Yeah, and we all come from different cultures. Like, I guess, kind of going back to what you were saying, Kenneth, like, different cultures have different expectations for the for the sexes and we all come from different backgrounds and yet we've all arrived at this decision to medically transition and the problem i have with with the gender ideology now is is that only works if you're in certain circles like if you're in these certain queer circles where everyone else believes what you believe and talks the way you talk just like you were saying, Scott, with the evangelicals, it works as long as they stick with their evangelical circles. Yeah. But I don't live in that world. You know, I want to fit into my family. I want to fit into my community. I grew up in a small farming community. And and I, I value my own culture, as do other people. And so I can't take those ideologies into little farming community with a bunch of truckers and cowboys and farmers, like it doesn't work. Right. So, and I think that's the reality that a lot of these kids are going to have to face, right. It is as they get older and they go out into the world and they're traveling and they're moving to different towns and they're wanting to start a family and they're, you know, they're wanting to just live their life. I think that's where some of these, these ideologies are going to break down for them and they're going to be kind of lost. I think that the, the, the bottom, the, the the ground under their feet is going to be washed away at some point. Whether it's you know they have a health problem because their body's breaking down or whatever that is for people, there's always a point where reality is going to confront us, and 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 that really rigid orthodoxy isn't going to work. And that's why, and that's why that 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 instinct seems to be a hostility uh, when when confronted with anything that challenges that orthodoxy is just. Uh, hostile and, and and they block block block. You can't do that in real life, and and eventually, you know that 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 um, yeah, it's going to come crashing down. And um, yeah, then like going back to what Scott was saying, and then what foundation do you have to deal with that uh, when everything's kind of propagated on this very loose um, <coughs> uh, religious? Um, uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's it's a very flimsy ideology, and that's why I think there's so much fear. That it's going to, um, you know, like why they look look at us with so much so much disdain, um, is because it is it's such a loose loose ideology, and they have to cling so tightly to it, and there's so much hostility that has to that has to uh, prop it all up, and, um, but yeah, 
you know, I spent uh, I spent a lot of my career in, in uh, telecom and, and advertising. And one of the things that I don't think people realize is is from an advertising perspective, transgenderism is like and should be studied as the best advertising campaign ever ever it has given it to and it has given things like and this is the thing that people don't realize in texas where they have a tort reform act where basically medical malpractice is almost unheard of in texas that's the hub for uh transgender healthcare, if you can believe it texas of all places the republican texas right um, so all the shitty doctors and surgeons are all moving there and starting practices to do that there. We have a very conservative, oh, okay. evangelical governor, right, has always been against, uh, you know, anything LGBT. Well, it should be all over the news that Abbott took $250,000 from a gender clinic. And next week, all the bills that were there to safeguard kids for medical transition were pushed off. So the first time in history, Abbott goes you know, maybe we need to be more loving to the LGBT. And people are sitting back going, he's had a revolution. Abbott's a wonderful person. He's a wonderful person. No, he's not. He's a fucking snake is what he is. But the advertising that is out there is lifting the Abbott's, you know, and we get the little sound bites about transphobic, about this, about that. And the thing that drives me nuts is what, are the people that's missing from this conversation. What's missing? We've got the evangelicals, we've got the feminists, we've got the women, we've got the men, we've got everybody. Who's missing from this talk? Because we only have a couple of jackasses that stand up like Morgan Ogre. Where are the trans people in the conversation? I read the articles, I read all this kind of stuff. I go, okay, where's the trans person? Where's the trans person? And I see, you know, the dipshits like Morgan, but that's it. Those are the only people, dipshits. We are missing from the conversation. Well, try to join the conversation and they silence you. I mean, yeah, I, not me. I tried, I, well, I tried for two years to be involved with a trans rights activism that's going on in Saskatchewan. And, you know, I was told repeatedly that as a male um, well basically their message was they were they were seeking to amplify female voices within the movement so um, they they explained to me how my opinion was inappropriate do they actually say female <laughs> yes yes so, meaning the trans women yes. <laughs> meaning, meaning trans women. Yes. Oh my! Oh, okay, yes. okay, okay. Yes. So, really, what yes. this is? Yes. Really, let's name this what it is. I mean, this is going to piss people off, but I mean, Scott's opened that door already, so let's just let's just go there. Um, really, what yeah, this yeah. is is it's a very misogynistic movement where the ways in which we were socialized as our biological sex and certain traits which tend to fit certain biological categories we've seen this play out in trans politics where this language of who's oppressed more gets gets thrown around and, and used but really the dynamic is 
trans women who are biologically male and were socialized male have all the say and tend to push around those that were biologically female and and we're just so we're the peacekeepers and and oh let's let's just not fight right let's prop, let's prop just, it let's all up along and and let's yeah and let's and love so each other. really what let's this is, is we're not women let's love each other so it's a bunch of it's a bunch of men bullying women all over again right it, it's it's the same misogynistic crap that we had come so far as lesbians and and women and 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 now we're being told to shut up, you know, because because we're men and our voices shouldn't matter as much as the trans women's. But but really, when you pull, you know, take, pull the veil away, really what that is, is the men telling the women to shut up. Yeah. And they're also yeah. um, typically typically heterosexual males at that who are now the most uh, most marginalized women um, are yeah, literally heterosexual males who um, think it's hot to present as women. And most people don't understand oh, that's God. exactly what um, <laughs> that's exactly what trans activism is. And, and maybe. OK, so going back, why, why do we think that uh, suddenly uh, a child you know, knows what their what their gender is? We're still talking about the same people is people who realize from a young age that they were aroused at the idea of being girls. Um, so. So we, we open the door, I guess we'll, we'll go there all the way, is that this is what the majority of trans activism is, is heterosexual males who have known all along they wished for certain reasons that they were women. It's not the reason that they're projecting to the outside world as to why this should be validated. Um, it's because, man, they wish they were hotter as women now and they would be if, if they had been medically interfered with at a younger age. And That's really what it comes down to, you're right, is, yeah. is aesthetics. Mm -hmm. But then we have we have trans women like you know Debbie Hayton and uh, Fionn and all that kind of stuff who are awesome. Have you ever have you ever sat back and watched the way Debbie talks to people? I it cracks me up when I read some of her tweets that are just so not in your face. Just like when did I exactly become female? How did that happen? It just cracks me up. You know just. You know, and what is she's a gray, she's a ball, right? She's mixing it all up. We all do it different ways. But there are some awesome transgender women. There, there are. are. And then there yeah. are. But they take a lot of abuse for being awesome. Yeah. They do. Yeah. And they are awesome. We get a lot of abuse too. You know, and, yeah. you know, anytime you try to break up anything that's black or white, it's, you know, it goes against somebody's ideology, right? Ideology, when you try to break that up, pisses people off. But, you know, we all have, and Aaron, you and I talk about that, you know, different pieces to the, to the, to the puzzle of, of solving it. Trans women are a huge part of the piece to, to, to fix it. I mean, Fiona and, and Debbie and all that kind of stuff, they, they come to me all the time and go, that was kind of a jerky thing to do. Okay. Uh, you know, and I'm receptive to it. So it's all, all of us are a piece. We're all kind of an energy that's that's busting stuff up and we're busting you know people up that, that need to be busted up because it doesn't make sense and it's hurting people it's hurting people you know and i've i said this already but i'm on the forefront of this you know when when these kids are suicidal it's me that they come to it's it's trey voices that they come to you know and i channel them off i mean i hear it and it pisses me off when, you know, people sit back and trans women sit back and, and you know, just push this ideology because I deal with it. I deal with it daily. So I might be intense about it because I'm fucking dealing with it. You're not. 
get start doing something start screaming start adulting louder start doing something because it's not transphobic to say hey you know what this is cosmetic surgery some people benefit from it it's cool uh but yeah it's not for a kid because you're taking away their foundation time we have all these people that don't have any foundations at all i mean we all talked about the time period where we sat back and hmm, i think i need to evaluate this as adults that had foundations yeah these kids don't have it and they're flipping out it's like the kids that you you know let them do whatever they want and then they're 18 20 years old and you're wondering why they're a hard time holding down a job or you know doing the right things you didn't teach them nothing they didn't have that foundation of hardship mm-hmm. yeah and and where do they go for that help right when when anyone that kind of advertises we are here to support the trans community they're so steeped in that I- ideology that for anyone to where that that starts to break down for them and then they're they're in they have they're having that oh shit moment where do they go to, to just have a realistic conversation where, you know, the rainbows aren't going to be blown up their asses because, right, they, where they can just unpack Nowhere. what's going on for them. Oh, they them. come here. They go, I, I get them. Yeah. And I love, and I never, and the thing is, is that I may come off like an asshole, but I don't say no to any parent. You can ask any parent that, you know, emails me at three o'clock in the morning. I need to talk to you. I'm, my life is coming to an end. I get those daily and, you know, in between work and this, and I'm talking, going, okay, go to this, go here, go there. Because there's not many of us doing it. There's, I mean, nobody wants, I don't want to out my career. I don't want to out this. I don't want people to think I'm transphobic. And for me, it's like, I know I'm not here very long. I almost died. So fuck it. You know? Yeah, I'm here. Give it to me. But there's only so much that I can do, you know, against a, a billion dollar industry, you know, me in my basement trying to figure out therapists for for these kids that have no foundation, you know, and basically, oh, and these kids, by the way, their parents have pushed them to transition. Yeah, they don't talk to them anymore because they think they're D-trans and they, that's bad. And so now they don't have their parents because they didn't affirm their ideology that, you know, basically their parents might have to sit back and go, hey, maybe I, that was a jackass move for me to do. So now it's, you know, I'm not going to talk to my kid. I mean, it's nuts what's happening. It's nuts. So parents who were pushing their children to transition and then the child decided not to transition are now not talking to their children? That's fucked up. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Holy shit. I, I, I had only until now dealt with that in the theoretical thinking that that would be starting to happen in 10 years. I didn't realize it was already happening. Take that one parent that talked to uh, the woman that was running for president and paraded her you know, daughter as a, as a trans male. Um, take that person at 25. That, that woman who's made her life on books and transition, all that kind of stuff. What happens when that child comes out and go, what in the fuck did you do to me? What about the one that was on uh, Good Morning America? Did you see that one this week on Good Morning America? No. Basically, the, uh, the drag queen kid, it's like eight or nine. Yeah, they don't show the video of, of that child going, mom, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't like this. And the mom in the background going, he's being our authentic self. Well, what happens when that dude gets to be 22 years old and goes, hey, wait a second. Uh, you cut my penis off. Um, I have early onset osteoporosis. I'm uh, suicidal. Uh, I can't date anybody because nobody knows who the fuck I am. Um, I've got early onset 
you know, heart disease. Uh, I don't have a foundation of anything. I don't know where the fuck I belong. And now I'm going to kill myself. That's what's happening. Well, exactly. Like, what happened to who is that doctor? Doctor Monet, Money, Money, who, who did? Yeah, the one who was doing all the research on forcing boys to transition to be girls, right? Because they had microphalluses, right? And he he did that really uh, famous research on that um, Reimers uh, on David Reimer. Yeah, Reimer. Yeah. Um, so. How, how come we're ignoring this research that says it's a really bad idea for parents to force children to transition because it's a gray area because if like, you say like that where did we stop paying attention to that yeah it's, it's, a gray it's like area, the Canadian right? it's like the Canadian conversion statute uh, stuff that's being the bill that's being brought forward it actually does nothing to prevent a trans radical activist from transitioning a child from male to female forcibly. And that's, that's one of the big problems with the bill that everybody is saying, yeah, no, if it's going to be conversion therapy, then it's got to swing both ways. <laughs> right. Um, but how did, the, how, how did all that research get to be just ignored? What, do you want I, I say this in interviews, but I just I, I wish people would really do a visual on it, do a, a actual visual. I have done this for a living sales presentations. Numbers are a big, 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 big deal. Yep. You know, that study that we did that did 4000% increase in the UK. If you take those ratios, those ratios of just that area in the UK and you mirror it to the same, you know, a child to parent uh, formula, who's transitioning, who's not. And you pour that over Australia, you pour that over Canada, you pour that over the United States, just in North America and maybe a little bit of Europe. In 20 years, 20, between 18 and 22% of the population is going to be trans and in need of hormones. Well, what does that mean? That means that $1.3 million per child that they convince is transgender, the pharmaceutical companies are going to benefit from that. And I don't care if you're in Canada. Guess who you're buying your hormones from? USA. Thank you. Your, com- your country has to pay for them. I mean, Canada's an imbecilic company or country. They, they are basically generating massive, massive profits for the United States. And they're listening to companies like Lupron that was deemed a criminal enterprise by my country in 2003 for basically lying on risks and all that kind of stuff. That's the, that's the company that can't afford to do a $10, $10 million uh, study on medically transitioning kids. They wrote a check for $874 million going, hey, sorry, you asked, we lied about that, fuck it, we'll do it. We don't have the money for that. We're not gonna do that study. Uh, you know, and your country's going, can we buy some more loop? We're very, very loving. We're very, very loving. That's fine. That's not just a million dollar industry, billion dollar industry. That is a trillion dollar industry at a time period when Netflix is trying to get two or three dollars more a month because that's the model, the business model now. Everybody wants to know how much they're going to make next month. Well, you put somebody on hormones and hormone blockers as a kid. That's a lifetime, dude. That's a lifetime. 
That's a check you can guarantee every, every single month. And then on top of that, for your country to buy those products, guess what happens when you prescribe them to children? They make eight times more money every time your imbecilic country writes hormone blockers to kids. That's $40,000 worth of profit every year. You're talking about the exact same model that advertising companies used to promote tobacco. The, the, The model was based on the idea that if you could get a boy to try tobacco just once prior to the age of seven and a girl to try it just once prior to the age of eight, or I could be a year off on those, then you would have X percentage of lifetime tobacco users. Yeah. And then, you know, but you can't say anything because, you know, we're part of, we're black and we're part, we're the trans community, right? We can't say anything because we're, we we don't want to be transphobic. We don't want to be transphobic. And we got, you know, the, the good morning America, you know, audience. Here's the truth. That dude, that, that kid, he's probably a gay boy or a very, very feminine man. Well, how about we celebrate that? That's being loving. That's the gray, right? That's the gray looking at that little boy going, hey, man, you want to dress in drag? Let me ask my mom to come over. She'll teach you how to put on fake eyelashes. And she's the biggest drag queen ever, but she's a female. We'll figure that out. That's a loving thing to do. That's a loving thing to do. And then when that kid's done with that, because we all go through different things, you know, no, mom, dad, I'm not into that anymore. Now I'm into army shirts. All right. Let me get my dad over because he's a fucking butch. He loves army. We'll play that. And then you go through those different things with your kids, right? Until they get about 22 and they kind of go, all right, now I know who I am. Mm -hmm. Uh Exactly. The kid is not the problem. Nope. Kenneth, you're absolutely right. The kid is not a problem.